You are listening to The Secret Series from Jubilee Church. This series follows members as they tell their stories and reveal the secrets that so few are willing to share in order to demonstrate the impact God has had on their lives. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. I became a Christian when I was 19 years old, and I was living at Portland, Oregon at the time. I started to um, want to find a church of my own, so to speak, somewhere where I really felt at home and that I could grow. Uh, Another friend invited me to church with him, and uh, right right from the first Sunday, it felt like a good, solid place. Uh, I I think it helped a lot that there was a lot of people my age, and all of them seemed to, you know, know, a lot of the guys just invited me right into their circle of friends. And that helped a lot. So I, I really felt like this was a good place for me to uh, be able to grow. I was just really, really into being, wanted to be like deeper and deeper into God. There was a core group of guys of about six or seven guys that um, we decided one day we we're going to have a, an accountability group. So we were just going to come together, have, uh, be real, be honest, and vulnerable with each other. It was really great. Um, and it really helped build my trust around everybody, uh, around those guys. Um, it really helped build my trust to the point where I just, I trusted every, I just trusted them beyond, beyond anything else. I would believe, um, you know, I believed in what they were telling me as far as how, uh, how to live my uh, Christian life and uh, advice that it would give me. I would just, I would treasure it. Uh, the lead pastor would be the, um, would be a mentor of mine. So we'd meet together at his house usually, and he would just kind of talk to us about what being a minister would be um, and give us assignments. We'd write papers, and most guys in their early 20s, I was probably about 21 at the time, and most guys in their early 20s, I was, kinda st- I was coming across some struggles with, uh, with masturbation. And I told the guys uh, around uh, in my accountability group, and I also told the lead pastor. And uh, that was on a Saturday, and he said, why don't you come to my house later on today, and we'll, we'll talk about it. And I was like, great, you know, I'm going to get some really good advice. I'm going to get, um, you know, I, I, I was just excited, maybe some scriptures that I can hold on to. And, you know, I didn't know what exactly to expect, but I, I knew that um, it was going to be, it was going to help me. So it was about noon on Saturday, I come over to his house, and he he uh, sits me down and, and we start talking about my issue. And he says, uh, I forget exactly how he said it, but he said that um, he, uh, you know, he started bringing up scriptures of, you know, as a Christian family, we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. Then he said that he struggles with homosexual thoughts and feelings. And, um, and one way to uh, that we could bear each other's burdens because of what I I'm go- I was going through and what he goes through is that he would uh, perform oral sex on me and then that would be how we bear each other's burdens. And at that point, I freaked out. I just got up and left his house. I didn't want any part of it. So immediately, I went back to the church and I came to came to the guys that I was really close with. These guys that were in my accountability group uh, over the course of a few hours they really they were just talking to me about how it's a good thing how it's it's um will help me stop sinning and it will be something 
to help me in my relationship with God. And they brought the Bible in to kind of suit their, it's, you know, looking back on it, definitely suit their agenda because it was, they brought in scriptures, you know, we don't need to conform to the world. Um, And that one really, I guess that one really hit home to me because it was something that made the most sense uh, because the world has all these thoughts and ideas of what's right in relationships. And there's, and these people that I put all this trust in were saying, this is really how relationships work. This is really how a mentorship works. And um, they brought up, one, one of the guys was, was um, really into history, and he brought up examples through history of how this was a widely accepted thing uh, throughout all of history. And nowadays in normal culture, in our culture, it's looked down upon. I mean, it was conversations for, like, for quite a few hours, and I was just agonizing over the thought of this is completely wrong, and, but yet this is everybody I trust is telling me it's right. And it's one of those things where it was kind of ba- the the whole conversation was like was baby steps, um, you know, the conversation with the pastor at his house where I left was a giant leap, and I was like, no, this is ridiculous. But talking with uh, uh, my close friends, they were saying, well, you know, they were just taking me along baby steps along the way to the point where it seemed like a legitimate idea. I was skeptical. I was, I just didn't, it, it didn't feel right at all. But again, these were every, every, everybody that I trusted with my spiritual life, I had talked to and they all said, this is a good idea. So it came next Sunday morning, we went, uh, you know, I went to church and um, then after church, I went into the lead pastor's office and just said, you know, I, I'm really uncomfortable about this and I'm really, you know, I, I don't know how I feel, you know, I don't know how I feel about it. It seems wrong, but everybody that I trust says it's a good thing, so I'm going to I, I'm going to go ahead with it. And um, that that day, that Sunday, was kind of when my secret was born. I felt just a lot of shame uh, around my family. Um, my mom always knew that something was wrong um, with me, and but I never I I couldn't tell anybody else just because I was feeling so shameful and uh, and I. I they wouldn't understand. It was something that people uh, would judge me for, and I, I, I couldn't handle that. After we got engaged, we moved to St. Louis, and we started looking for a church that we could, uh, we could grow together. The reason I didn't tell Tay my secret is because I didn't... I think part of it is because I, didn't, I, I just wanted to leave it all behind me. I didn't want to have any... Anything from that part of my life invade my my current situation. Where I was looking for a new start, I was looking for something to be um, to be new and good. It affected my relationship with my wife because I had a disconnect in my own heart of love and and like affection. It was, I think, mainly because of my secret and because of the abuse that I that I went through at the time. It was. It was um, 
kind of changed my thought process of how you were to love somebody. I was hiding things, and I, I would create distance in between our marriage because I felt, because I was going through memories or I was going through um, things that, you know, that happened to me in the past, and I would just create distance in our marriage. And during that time, she would feel unloved. Just knowing that in times when... Um I desired to be intimate with my husband and he would turn away from me in times that he would be just somewhere else or just seem upset. And I would ask him what was wrong and he would say nothing. And, you know, but I could tell, I could totally tell that there was something different. Um, even though he was never rude or mean or angry about it, I could just sense that he was distant and, but then he would just snap back in not too long and he'd be fine. So I never identified it as a real problem in our marriage. So we were looking for a new church. We uh, found Jubilee on Yelp the morning of the service, came in and just immediately felt like home. We jumped right in, and this, this whole time I still have this, I have a lot of distrust towards God, towards leadership, towards um, church in general. I didn't, uh, I didn't feel um, at ease about leadership, about, I didn't feel at ease about anything in my spiritual life, uh, whether it was leadership, uh, reading the Bible, praying, um, some of my emotions were, uh, while I knew it wasn't right, but I felt that God had put me in this bad situation for all these years, and now I'm supposed to go to another church and see what happens? That seems ridiculous. You know, that doesn't seem like the right thing to do. It, I didn't realize how much of a hesitation or a trust issue I had until Brian preached a sermon on giving, and he said, if you, have a hesi if you don't want to give, uh, you believe that God is a taker and not a giver. When he said that, it struck me as I have a lot of trust issues, not only with the people around me, but with God. I had this growing feeling of how um, I made all these great friendships and people knew me, but they didn't know all of me. I had this deep secret that, uh, that I knew I was going to take to the grave. There was no way I was telling anybody about this. No one needed to know it, and I didn't need to tell anybody. Uh, so I wanted, so there's this secret, this weight that was just, just controlling me when it came to, uh, came to relationships. I wanted to go to Revive because it was, I wanted to tune up in my Christian life and, um, and I wanted accountability with people and I just didn't expect it was going to reveal that part of my life. I wanted to wall that off and never think or talk about it. Uh, I remember thinking on the way into Revive Group that Monday night, I'm not telling this. There's no, I'm, I'm just not going to tell this. And the speaker at Revive Group uh, said three or four times, if there's, a, if there's something in your mind that you're holding on to and you're saying, I'm not going to share this, you should probably share it. And the first time he said it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah he's probably just saying that. The second and third time, I was just like, golly, you're just sticking me to the core, you know. I, I just, again, just the conviction of I need to share this.
I, I told him, I was like, I, I just need to share mine because if I don't, I'm going to lose my nerve and I won't share it next week. So I told the people in Revive Group my secret and just experienced so much. I just experienced like a, a thousand pounds lifted off my back. And not only that, I experienced love and acceptance from, uh, from, from those guys from for something that I thought was unlovable and unacceptable. I, I just felt, it just felt so good uh, to get it off my chest. One of the leaders of Revive Group asked me if I, uh, if I still felt shame of my, what was going on, you know, back in the time. And I said I did. And at that point, I realized that I wasn't, I didn't really let it go. I didn't really let that issue go. I didn't, try to forgive, you know, the lead pastor for, for the whole situation. And um, that was kind of a, a moment where I had to sit back and reflect and really search my own heart for forgiveness. But I also had to ask for forgiveness from God. I had to repent because I blamed him for the choices of people. I had to come to terms with my end of what I what happened to me, I had to come to terms with my end of what was going on because it wasn't something that I was like locked in a cage and had to do these things. It was, there was something that I had to take ownership of part of my sin in that matter. It wasn't all something being done to me. I was participating in it and I had to take ownership of that and ask God for forgiveness of those things uh, before I could really move on. I think that when I was able to forgive what happened, I was really able to finally put down my secret. A few weeks after that, uh, Tay and I had been going through Revive Group, and we 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 kind of sat down and we kind of like, okay, we need to catch each other up on what's been going on. So she told me a secret, um, and I told her my secret, and um, she was just loving and accepting. And um, she was, it was, it was great towards, you know, she felt great to me. The night that Ryan and I um, got back from Re Revive Group, I was already pretty emotional because I was really trying to prepare myself to tell him my secret that I wanted to share with him. Um, and I was um, kind of blindsided a little by his, um, I didn't know what to expect and actually finding out what his secret was. Um, I was in disbelief, um, but at the same time, I completely believed it. So just to find out that this person had completely just manipulated and abused um, my husband in his infancy as a Christian was, it just, it was something that I just could not grasp. So working out this process of how to relate to God without a secret um, and how to relate to other people that know my secret now was kind of like a working out process. But what it, what it became, what I kind of realized is I didn't, I didn't know what freedom felt like. I didn't know what freedom spiritually felt like. I, always was, I was bound in chains for so long uh, just holding on to this one thing that no one can know, and now I'm, I'm free. I don't have to hold on to anything anymore. I don't know. I don't see those moments of just Ryan being 
completely somewhere else and and those times of him being um, physically bothered aren't there as well. We communicate more, we're closer. Um, I feel like there's still small steps. Um, I definitely have times where I do feel like I need to forgive again, um, but I completely have trust that God is working us through it, and um, there's been proof of it all along. It was over a period of time. Over, We were in the 10-week revive course, and so over the period of that 10 weeks, God like slowly chipped away each, each piece that I was still dealing with, still holding on to. But reading the book and going through the group where people were bearing their hearts and I felt free to bear mine, just kind of like sloughed off each layer as, as an onion. Now I feel uh, light. I feel, I feel true joy, kind of the, not just happy, but true joy that sustains you. Um, I feel, uh, I feel forgiven and I feel close to God. It's, it's one of those feelings where it's just, I don't, I don't have to walk around worried all the time. Worried if I'm going to be found out, worried if I'm going to say something that will potentially make people question my past or anything. You know, it's, I don't have to walk around with my teeth clenched. I feel free. I feel light. Um, it's, it's one of those things that I, f I finally feel relatable, if that makes any sense, because I can relate to people without anything in the way. You go. You, it's easy. It's easy to fall back into the hiding mindset or into uh, carrying. And for me, it was easy to fall back into carrying myself like I had a secret, even though I was redeemed from it and healed from it. It was maintaining the fact that God had forgiven me, that I had been healed from it, and that I don't have to carry around a weight anymore. Um, I say that's still. That's still. Um, an ongoing struggle. I don't feel any shame about what I went through. I don't feel any uh, condem condemnation. I feel um, like I, I feel uh, grateful that God can use this to help other people in a similar situation. Um, there is a uh, a lot of directions that we could go just with this um, with his story. Lots of things that. Um, I guess we're brought up in what he experienced, but I, I want to, we're going to tackle the, the issue of shame today, and Ryan's going to come up and read from Isaiah 55. If you have a Bible uh, with you, turn Isaiah 50, excuse me, Isaiah 54. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a black Bible in the chair in front of you, and that would be on page 614. And I'll turn things over to Ryan. I'll give you a minute to get there if you want to follow along. <clears throat> All right. It says, "Fear not, for I will." Um, <clears throat> sorry. It says, uh, "Fear not, for I will not be ashamed." For I'm sorry. For you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your Maker is your husband; the Lord of hosts is His name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth, uh, he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, 
like a wife of, of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overwhelming anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says, uh, says the Lord your Redeemer. I think we've all had that moment where something went public that we didn't want to go public and we felt shame. That could be something simple or trivial like, you know, unzip zipper and you're found out. Or you, or it could be something a little bit more intense. It could be something a little bit more serious like getting caught in an affair, getting caught in a lie or, or both. Uh, it could be something that you've done or something you've or other, others have done to you. Um, it could be like uh, Brian Williams, who was recently said that he was um, shot down or, or brought down in a helicopter and ended up not being true. Um, it could be something like making a bad call in the Super Bowl and being shamed in front of the entire world. It could be things that that, that you've done, it could be acts, or it could be just that who you are is, sh- like you are ashamed about who you are, kind of like a Cubs fan. And so we, there, there's all different levels of, of, of shame. I notice a lot of heads bowed. It's not time to pray. It's, uh, it's not time to pray. Um, there's still hope. It's only pre, uh, spring training. Um, so, but, but what shame is, shame is this feeling of like dis- disgust over either something we've done or, or, or who we are. And, and I think it's important to know that there is a difference between shame and guilt. Uh, there, 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 there are feelings of disgust, but they're brought about in two different ways. Guilt is this internal objective sense that I've done something wrong. And you can feel guilty regardless of what people think. You can feel innocent regardless of what people think. You can feel guilty regardless of what people think. And so this feeling of guilt is, is, doesn't matter what other people think, but, but shame is very communal. Um, shame is, is this, it's, it's this perception of, of how other people feel about you based upon, um, what you've done. That's why in Ryan's story, whether it's, um, you know, this feeling of shame, or you can even call it peer pressure, desire to fit in it, 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 in some ways it influenced him, uh, to, to engage in what he engaged with. And then there was shame afterwards. And it, it all depends upon, uh, the community you're a part of. Again, guilt comes from an objective source. Shame comes when we compare ourselves to others. And when I think about compare, I think about just even, you know, we, we tend to compare ourselves physically. And I was in a, I was at a uh, pastor conference in uh, Turkey a few years ago, two years ago. And uh, there was a time where we had like a, a half a day or something like that to go on the beach. Right, and so uh, I'm with with pastors, so I was I was feeling pretty good about my physique compared to their physique. If you're not, I mean, so so the Bible says that um, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, if that's true, pastors seem to care more about square footage than craftsmanship, and so uh, that's kind of where that's coming from. And so 
So being around other pastors, man, I was feeling pretty good about myself. I'm playing sand volleyball, running around like David Hasselhoff. I was like, so I was, I, I wasn't feeling any shame. And then there's these few guys about an hour later uh, who showed up late. And the reason why they showed up late is because they were working out in the gym. And so they were, they were, um, they were a little bit more um, ripply. And so we was, and so I began, me and, me and the other guy, I'm like, I, we began, I began to feel shame based upon um, the, the way these guys looked. And, you know, we, we, like, they must not have been very spiritual pastors. I mean, it takes a lot of, you have to read a lot of books to look like this. And so you, and so they must not have been, you know, reading very many books. And so, um, Lifting them, but not, but, and so we, but that's what happens when, when you begin to feel shame. One of the things that you do is you begin to uh, take that shame and put on other people. You, you begin to discredit them because if, a, a way for you not to feel shame is, is to make others feel ashamed of, of who they are. And uh, shame is a big reason why we avoid community. Uh, a lot of our relationships don't go deep because of shame. So shame is a very powerful motivator. I mean, so something like community that we, uh, I think desperately, desperately need, and we need to share our lives with other people. Shame keeps us from that because of the fear of being found out or how we might feel uh, once they do find out. Here are a few ways that you can feel um, shame. Some of us feel shame time to time, but there are some of us who constantly feel shame, and I think it has four different forms. One is this feeling of reje- being rejected. So maybe you came from a perfectionist home, and there was nothing ever good enough, or, or even worse, you uh, maybe abusive home, and you feel rejected. That, that is a feeling of shame. You feel rejected. Or maybe you feel unworthy. Uh, to feel unworthy means that you maybe you don't even feel like you meet the minimum standards of beauty or intelligence in your society. And so your shame feels like a general lack of self-worth. Maybe you feel weak or damaged. You may feel this way if you've been sexually abused. And um, statistically, one in four of us that's been reported have been sexually abused. So your shame feels like weakness or, or, or you feel damaged. Um, or, or maybe your shame feels like uh, inferiority. That it's not that you've done a few bad things, but you feel in, irreparably bad. And you, you feel just constantly inferior to, to everyone ar- around you. And this has actually caused a lot of people in society to say, well, well, should you even feel shame? That's a question. And it's like, should we even feel shame? Because there's some who says that you shouldn't, that no one should make you feel ashamed of yourself. I mean, they should have told that to my grandma, who would always say, Brian, you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, she thought I should feel ashamed for some things, but society would say, you, you should, no one should try to put shame on you, and you should have enough esteem as not to feel inferior to others. But uh, that would, de- that would, a couple problems with that. One, that denies our connectedness with other people to not feel shame. And secondly, is deny that your actions or the actions other people have committed against you are not shameful. Um, when, and there's, but there's a third more important reason why uh, we, should, we should, be, ha, should have shame. Um, and that is in our fallen world, shame is, is an appropriate response to who God is. In the garden, um, in, in the garden uh, of Eden, when, when God created everything to be perfect, and, and Adam and Eve's sin, it says that they hid themselves because they were ashamed. And humiliation... Uh, Humiliation is actually an, an appropriate response to who God is and 
the world that he's created for us and the world that he wants for us, humiliation is, uh, is appropriate. And um, Daniel expresses this, this attitude um, for us in Daniel 9. Uh, just again, uh, in the stage of us becoming a, a Christian, um, what is essential is that we do feel shamed, and, and hopefully it comes clear. Daniel cries out, this is a good position to be in if you feel uh, that, if you declare yourself, yeah, I, I've done things wrong. Righteousness belongs to you, that's talking to God. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us, open shame. Why? Because we have sinned against you. Understanding your moral and positional weakness in front of a holy God um, is very key uh, to you going down the path of eventually having your shame removed from you permanently. The opposite of feeling shame is to be shameless, which is not a good position. Even people in society, even though in one breath they'll say you, no one should, should feel shame, on the other hand, society says absolutely we want you to feel ashamed. Um, for example, what Brian Williams or a guy like Adrian Peterson, uh, there, are cele- there are these celebrities, and, and we're included, but the celebrities are the ones we talk about. These celebrities have done these things that society views as being shameful. Uh, but what society would say is that um, what we're looking for is we're looking for them to feel shameful. If there's no remorse, uh, if there's no, I-, I wish I hadn't done this, uh, their acceptance back into a place of honor, if that's even possible, is, we, is that we as a society must deem them as being, well, experiencing shame. In fact, some would say uh, that if someone's been especially bad in our society, that it's our shame that is the last shred of nobility left. Now, we, I think we kind of get that, uh, if that's true amongst us peers, is that there are things that we should experience shame. How much more should that be true in relation to who God is? Jeremiah six fifteen says, were they not ashamed when they committed uh, abomination, just committed sin? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. To be a shameless person is to be in a bad position because um, uh, to, to feeling, embracing the, the shame that comes with sin, if you're not yet a Christian, is the doorway to repentance and repentance is the pathway to forgiveness and forgiveness is the pathway to a new identity, which is how we are relieved from shame permanently. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that shame is a good thing. It's not a good thing. But it is appropriate in light of who sin is, in light of who God is. But the good news is, and this is the amazing thing that I want all of us to know, is God has come, Jesus has come to completely remove your shame. Both the shame that's come about by the things that you have done and the shame that's come about by the things that others have done to you. The book of Zephaniah 319, chapter 3. Verse 19 says, Behold, at the time I will deal with your oppressors. This is God speaking. I will deal with your oppressors. I will save the lame. Those of us who feel weak, those of us who feel damaged, those of us who feel oppressed, the weak, he has come to save. And he will gather the outcasts, those of us who feel rejected, those of us who feel constantly inferior. The good news of what 
of the Messiah coming is he wants to remove that feeling, that day in and day out feeling that maybe you even come numb to of being weak, of being insignificant, of feeling inferior. He has come to cure you of that. But that's not all. Zephaniah 3.11 promises that on that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. So what this is saying is like God, Jesus has not come. He's, excuse me. He's come not only to remove the shame that seems unjust, the things that other people have done to you, the, 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 the things that people have done to make you feel weak, the things have done, people have done to make you feel rejected. He's not just come to relieve you of that shame. He's come to relieve you of the shame that you have brought on yourself. He has come. If you feel weak, if you feel like an outcast, He has come to set you free from shame. How does he do that? Well, he does it through the cross. On the cross, Jesus bore the weight of our guilt and he bore the weight of our shame. Galatians 3.13 declares this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. The manner in which Jesus died was very shameful. He was stripped of his clothes. He was naked and exposed for everyone to see. He was beaten mercilessly so bad that he would have uh, cried out involuntarily in pain. Made a mockery of. Spit upon. Beaten. Made fun of. His body would have uh, just, it would have done things uncontrollably because of the severe pain that he was experiencing. In fact, there's a word to describe that we came up with in in our language, excruciating, means from the cross. It's only the kind of pain that can come from the cross. And the shame that he was experiencing wasn't his own shame. It was clear that he was innocent, but the shame that he was experiencing was your shame, it was my shame, it was Ryan's shame, It was this pastor's shame. The feelings of disgust that you've ever had over the worst things that you have done. The feeling of disgust that you've ever had over something someone else has done. In that moment, Jesus became became that. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He that knew no sin had no reason to be ashamed. He became sin. So that you and I could have his righteousness. All the disgust, all of the the grossness that is not just the guilt that comes with our sin. Not just the need for forgiveness that comes with our sin. But but the, um, the shame associated with that sin. Which... The reason why we have secrets, I think we'd all agree that the shame that we feel is worse than the guilt that we feel. All of that became, was bore upon Jesus. It says in John 1.11, he came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. Isaiah 53, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like no one, like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
the culmination of his rejection we can see in the cross. We're not just meant to see that he paid the price, that he paid the price for our punishment. But when we look at the cross, we look at the shame that is associated with sin and we see that it was our shame that he bore. And I just want to say to everyone here, and I especially want to say it to Ryan, that you are called because you are in Christ to a life free of guilt and free of of shame. And what I mean by that is I don't mean that you should never feel guilty, but what I do mean by that is you should not go to bed feeling guilty. I'm not saying that you should never feel ashamed, but because of what Jesus done, you don't have to go to bed ever feeling ashamed. 1 Peter 2:16 says for it stands in scripture, behold I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, what I think is even more remarkable than the fact that he bears our shame and he takes it away. He wants to remove uh, your shame from you permanently. He, that's what he's come to do. He's come to remove your guilt. He's come to remove your shame. But what's even more remarkable than the fact that he takes our shame away is that he's not ashamed of us. That is the part that... I mean, it's amazing. Hebrews 2, 11. Neither the Father or the Son have any shame concerning their association with us. Hebrews 2, 11 says, For he who sanctifies, that is Jesus. For he who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, that's all of us. All have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus did not just pay the price for your sin. But this morning, Ryan and all of us, he is not ashamed to call you brother, sister. It says right now for those who are in Christ that he has raised us up with Christ and we are seated with him. He is not ashamed of us. The father is not ashamed of us. Now, again, this is so, this is, this is remarkable because I think the, probably the most shameful thing that could happen to me is if I was, after this message, if I was to walk out into the lobby and my eight-year-old son yells and declares with, one, with a loud voice, I hate you. I wish you weren't my father. All of you hearing what he says. There's... I can't win. Number one, he, he's saying the truth and I am a bad father and, I'm, and I deserve the hate that he has for me. And that would be very shameful. The second thing is that I'm, my parenting skills are zilch and I'm just, you know, I am a good father but I, he, just, he just does whatever he wants to do and he, I can't influence or control him. The only way out of that scenario and not having any shame is if I publicly disown him. He is not my son. You and I, every, in our position of, of before the fall, before Jesus, is that we have shaken our fist at God like a little eight-year-old out in the lobby and we said, I hate you. I wish you weren't my father. Is God not a good God? He's a, he's a great God. 
Is he not powerful enough to control us? No, he can control us. His only option is to disown us. But did he? Does he? He doesn't. And here's why. Because on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the Father looked upon him and he was, all of that ugliness, all of the ugliness that we know about in our own heart that we don't want to tell anyone, all the ugliness that we see in other people's lives and we want to bring shame to them, all of that ugliness Jesus took on himself. And in that moment, the Father disowned his own son on the cross. He was punished so that you and I will never be punished and he was forsaken so that you and I will never be forsaken. He took all the shame that is associated with your sin and my sin and Ryan's sin and this pastor's sin and the sin of the whole world, the thing that we just think is, and he took it all on the cross. He bore it all, which is why we can be permanently removed from our shame. Because the Bible says that he drank the, the cup of wrath from, the Bible talks about this cup of wrath and he drank it all, which means that he took all the punishment and he took all the shame and there's not a drop left for you and for me. The key for you, the key for living a guilt-free life is you receiving forgiveness for your sin. But the key for you to live a life absent of shame is for you to take on this identity of being in Christ. And I know many of us may know what it is to receive the forgiveness of God. But the thing I want to present to you this morning is have you received, have you received your identity in Christ, which means that you, sh- you don't ever have to feel ashamed because Jesus bore your shame for you on the cross and he took it all away. And now we just need to recognize that it is true. Just as he's forgiven us, he has taken all of our shame on the cross.